Let's start in uh, Mark 11 again. Let your Bible fall open to Mark 11:22 tonight. And we're going to start right there again and just read it one more time. We read it, we read it last week. We talked about um, some very specific parts of Mark 11, but uh, let's start there again tonight. Mark 11:22 says, "Have faith in God." Jesus said, "Have faith in God." And we all know that that means the God kind of faith or the same kind of faith that God has. So he's commanded us. He didn't say just try to have my kind of faith, but he commanded us have the same kind of faith that God has. Amen. And then uh I'm reading out of the NIV, so you guys follow along as you can. It says in verse 23, I tell you the truth. Now, as we read this, I want you to notice how many times you see the word you. Point to you and say me. Me. You is me. You is me. When you see the word you in this verse, you're, you're talking to, to yourself. You're referring to yourself. It says, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sin or your trespasses. So you, this verse was written for you. It was written for me, right? Um, it, it's a specific instruction. Amen? Let's flip over to Matthew 21 and read uh, Matthew's version of this verse. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, and starting, let's start in verse 18 so we get the full picture. Matthew 21, verse 18, it says, Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing, this is Jesus, talking about Jesus. And he's walking along with the disciples. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to it, now who did he talk to? The tree, he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Now, it wasn't something magical like you see on a um, Disney movie where he spoke to the tree and it magically disintegrated in front of their eyes. Because if you, if you take this version and you read it alongside Mark's version, it's, it says immediately it withered. But the immediately withering part started in the very roots. Started in the ground and worked its way up. So the immediate withering began down in the ground, in the roots of this tree. And Mark's version tells us that they came back the next day. So several hours had passed, but by the time they got there, it had withered all the way up. It was shriveled up, okay? Immediately the tree withered. Verse 20, when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatsoever you ask for in prayer. All right? So that is Matthew's version of the same story. Now, why do you think Jesus did this? Why do you think Jesus did this? I mean, was he, was he mad at the fig tree for not having any figs on it? He just got mad and said, Curse you, you doggone fig tree. Right? So we have to imagine what Jesus' purpose was. Bless you. And... Why Jesus was here in the first place. Yes, he came to, to redeem us and save us, but he spent these three years doing what? Teaching the disciples, therefore teaching us what to do. So the reason he did this this way was to show us something. 
He's showing us something. He's showing... Remember, we talked about the kingdom. How many of you were here for those weeks we talked about the kingdom? We've got a good idea now of what... When I say the kingdom, I hope you guys are thinking differently about that word. Because it means more than just a castle and a king with a crown on his head. Like, the kingdom, when I say the kingdom. And Jesus was here to show us how we should be operating in the kingdom. Amen? And so, in this story, he's demonstrating to us our, a kingdom, our kingdom authority. Our kingdom rights. He's showing us something that we should be doing since we're citizens of this kingdom. Amen? So... This is really Jesus' effort to show the disciples and therefore show us how to operate in the kingdom. What our authority is, in particular, with what we say. With what we can say. The, the results of what we say. Amen? And so, now, as you read it, did he say that we would have everything that we say? Kind of a trick question, isn't it? Because it does say, it does say, you shall have whatsoever you say. That's what it says, right? But again, last week we talked about some qualifiers. So, some things you got to do before you get to the have whatsoever you say. Yes, it does say that we can have whatsoever we say, but there's, there's, some, there's some rules to it. You can't just spout out whatever you want and just say it and it magically appear. The Word of God is not magic, like Cinderella's, what was she? Fairy godmother. God's Word is not your fairy godmother, okay? There are some qualifiers to this having whatsoever you say. So, the first one is that you got to have faith. The first qualifier is that, what is faith anyway? Believing. Faith is believing in your heart, what you're about to say, right? So the first qualifier to having whatsoever you say is you got to believe, you got to have faith in what you're about to say. And then there's a second qualifier, which we talked about last week a lot, which was don't doubt. It says does not doubt in his heart. The one who believes and does not doubt. So if you want to have whatsoever you say, you got to remember before you get that, you got to have faith and believe in what you're about to say. And you got to never, ever, not at all doubt. Doubt what you're about to say. Then, then whosoever shall have whatsoever. Remember, you're a whosoever. And it's funny that whatsoever was not identified. There was no limit on the whatsoever part. You can have whatsoever you say. Now we could get in a no, another whole teaching about the whatsoever. Because God didn't put any limits on the whatsoever. You're the whosoever. And if you meet the qualifications, the, the, the qualifiers in your asking, there's no limit on the whatsoever. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean tomorrow morning you're going to get up and you're going to uh, wish that there was a million dollars in your bank account and it's going to happen. Because there's a building of your faith that has to happen for you to get to the whatsoevers that are bigger than what you can imagine. But the whatsoevers don't have a limit on them. Amen? Now, imagine this. If you could just get all of the doubt, if, if we could get all doubt out of our lives. Let's just wipe out doubt. Wipe it out. Imagine that we took every single word that's in this book and we applied it to our life 100% with no doubt. Imagine that. Because that's a big imagine, right? Imagine if we could get rid of all doubt and we applied to our physical and our mental and our emotional self all of the promises that are in this book. Imagine if we did that. And what if we took this book and we applied to all of our, our provisions and our prosperity and all of that, and we applied everything that's in this book and we didn't doubt one single bit of it. Imagine if we could do that. 
Imagine if you could apply every single promise in this book with regard to relationships and you applied them to your life, your marriage, your family, your children, your friendships. You could apply all of that to your life without any doubt and just know. What about, how many of you have ever read Psalm 91? The 91st Psalm. What if you took it literally and, and you said, without a doubt, my security, my safety is, there's no doubt that Psalm 91 is true. What if you removed all doubt? That would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? If we could remove all doubt, get rid of every doubt, I heard a minister say it this way. We would receive without delay and without fail. If we can get rid of all doubt, then we would receive without delay and without fail. How many of you have believed something or tried to, tried to believe something and it failed? How many of you believed something but you had to wait on it for a while? And it took a long time. But if we could get doubt out of the way, we would receive without delay and without fail. That's 100% true. Amen? We could, we could do it. It makes me think, why in the world would we ever doubt in the first place? Why do we let doubt come in? Why do we ever doubt anything? If that's true, why do we ever, ever doubt it is possible, you know. Some people say it's not possible. It's just not possible to live with no doubt. But it is possible. It has to be possible because God would not have given us Mark 11.23 as a teaser. He doesn't tease people and say, you know, I'm going to write this, but ain't no way you can do it. He doesn't do that. If He said it, then there is a way to do it. Amen? It is possible to believe and not doubt. I want that. Do you? All right. Say, I don't doubt. I don't doubt. I don't doubt. I don't doubt. You got to get it in there. Y'all remember what wavering means from last week? Wavering. We talked about wavering in James chapter 1. And, you know, it's... Believing two things at the same time or two outcomes at the same time. Wavering is just not really knowing what you believe. It's up one minute, down the next, like waves. That's why it's called wavering. It's, it's setting your, your hope on something in the future and you don't really know what you believe is going to happen. That's wavering. I'm just not really sure, you know. I, I mean, I... I know the Bible says that by His stripes I'm healed. But what about these symptoms that I've got? That's wavering. See, when Jesus wrote that statement, or when the Word wrote that, when that, that statement was written in the Word, it said, by His stripes I am healed, I was healed. It didn't say but. There was no but there. If the Word says, uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, except this one thing is too hard. It didn't say that. It was just the end of it, right? There's no but. There's no but. It, we got, I, I did a, a message here one night at Dive. It was like, the title of it was something like, Get Your Big Butt Out of the Way or something like that. Y'all remember that? And we talked about that word, but. B-U-T, but. We got to get our big butt out of the way. Right? Because there is, when you set your faith on something and you don't doubt, there is no but. There's no but to it. Amen? James 1, it says that a person that has doubt and puts their belief on two different things is double-minded and unstable and should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be walking around here doubting what this word says. And be double minded. Be putting my, my, my hope on. Well you know. I mean I know the word says I'm healed. But 
but, 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 whatever. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to be unstable. Because I want to expect something from the Lord. Amen? And so I want to be single-minded. Being single-minded means being faith-minded. I want to be faith-minded. How about you guys? Say, I don't doubt. I don't doubt. All right, so I mentioned something last week about doubt. Remember, I told you a story, the story about the man with the, uh, the lunatic son. He brought the son to the disciples. They couldn't heal him. And then Jesus came and he said to the guy, you know, do you believe? And he said, the guy said, the dad, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And so, which was it? Was he believing or was he doubting? He was both. He was, he was both, but let me tell you the difference. He was believing in his heart, but in his head he had these passing thoughts of, I don't even know how, but I believe it. Okay? And so I made this statement that you can believe something in your heart and have doubt in your head at the same time and still get results. That is possible. It is possible to do that. And it, just like this man. He said, I believe, but hell, my unbelief. The belief was in his heart. The unbelief were these thoughts that would come into his head. And your heart man and your head man are two different things, yes. They are two different things. That's how they can operate in two different ways. But they are still connected. You can't cut your head off from your heart. Right? And so they are still connected. And so what matters in this case is what you do with the doubt in your head. If you're fully convinced in your heart then what do you do with these doubtful thoughts that come to your head? Are you going to allow the doubt in your head to override the belief in your heart? That's one option. Or you can cast the thoughts out and bind them and get your head lined up with your heart. Does that make sense? That's, what, that's your two choices when... When doubts, when that unbelief comes into your head, you have a choice what you do with it. Amen? Amen. And if you want to get out of doubt, if you, don't, if you really mean when you say, I don't doubt, then you're going to take those thoughts and you've got to get them out of there. You've got to cast them down. You've got to bind them. And you get your head in line with what your heart believes. Amen? Think about Peter when he saw Jesus out there walking on the water. Y'all know that story, right? He looked out and he saw Jesus walking on the water. And Peter yells out and said, you know, bid me come to you, Jesus. I want to walk on the water too. Ask me to come. And Jesus says, come, right? Come. And when Jesus, who is the Word, said to come, that authorized Peter to walk on the water. When Jesus said come, that gave Peter authority to walk on the water. Okay? But when, G when Peter put his leg over the side of that boat and stepped onto that water, that's what empowered him to do it. Okay? Jesus, by his word, gave him authority. But he was not empowered to do that until he acted on the Word. Amen? You see what I'm saying? And God's going to tell us to do things in our life, big things, that we think in our head that we cannot do. We think in our head, I can't do that. But when we connect our faith to the Word... We're connecting our faith to the power source. You understand? And anything that, anything that this Word says that we can do, and that just authorized us to do it. That, that just gave us authority to do it. The Word saying it 
gives us the authority to do it. So nobody can take that away from you. You've got the authority to do everything this book says. Everything the Word says that you can do, you have authority to do. But you have to agree with it and act on it to, to empower it. Okay? It can be your authority right all day long. And you just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and look at it. Right? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Until you empower, until you connect to the power of it by acting on it, it's just authority laying there dormant. Amen? So Peter had the authority to step out. If he'd have just stood there, the authority that Jesus just gave him to do it didn't go away. But he could have just stood there doubted that he could have done it and never acted, that wouldn't have negated the authority that Jesus gave him to do it. He just didn't connect to the power source by acting. Does that make sense? What caused Peter to disconnect? Once he got out there, he started walking. What caused him to disconnect from that power? Huh? Doubt. Fear. Fear, which is just a form of doubt. So when we're talking about doubt, we're also talking about fear. And fear or doubt caused him to look around and in his head say, Oh my gosh, look at these waves and what am I think I'm doing? I'm a man walking on water. That's not possible. I can't do that. And the thoughts in his head changed the alignment of his heart and caused him to doubt or fear and doubt. And he lost the connection to the power source. Are y'all getting that? And so that's what causes, caused him to have a disconnect and start to sink, right? Fear and doubt. And here's a word, worry. Fear, doubt, and worry are disconnectors from faith in God. I'm going to say it again. Fear, doubt, and worry are disconnectors from faith in God. Disconnectors. And the Bible says that they are sins. Yikes. Fear, doubt, and worry are sins. Ouch. Let's read it in Romans 14. Romans 14, 23. I'll just read it to you. It says this. But whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats. Now, before this verse, they're talking in particular about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. But let's take this verse and apply it to what we're talking about. It says, Who, whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Now, here's the key. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Y'all got that? So, does doubt proceed from faith? No. Faith, uh, doubt does not proceed or come from faith. Where does doubt proceed from? From the devil. Doubt comes from the devil, right? And the devil is sin. Amen? Sin is an act that connects us to the devil and puts us out of God's reach. Sin disconnects us. And if you get disconnected, you got to get connected to something else because you can't float out there not connected to anything because we're not standalone beings. Okay? So if you disconnect from God... Sin causes you to disconnect from His power. Whose power are you connected to then? Yikes. Right? So doubt and worry put us out of reach from God. Puts us in a position of being out of reach from God. God can't get to us. Amen? So I want us to focus a little bit tonight on this word worry. I said the word worry. Amen? Doubt that we talked about last week, it can be a quick 
thought that comes and goes real fast. Doubts are going to come. And a doubt is something that might hit your mind and you say, "Uh uh-uh, and you cast it off and it's got to go. It can come and go real quickly. But worry, worry is meditating on doubt. Y'all ever meditate on the Word of God? If you are worrying, you're meditating on doubt. Worry is when you take doubt and then you think about it and you think about it and you think about it all the time. Amen? And so Philippians 4, 6 says this. You guys know this verse. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Be careful for nothing, it says. Now, how much is nothing? How many things are included in nothing? None. Nothing means nothing. So how many things are you supposed to be careful for? None. Now that word careful has been kind of tricky in our English language because, you know, we say things like, be careful, like Pastor Allen will tell the kids when they leave the house, hey, be careful. And what he's really saying is, hey, drive safely. Maybe we should say drive safely or whatever to keep the confusion. And so we've misinterpreted the word careful. So let me read a couple of different translations so you know what this word, be careful for nothing, means. The ESV says, do not be anxious about anything. So there's one definition, anxious. The message says, don't fret or worry. Fret or worry. The NLT says, don't worry about anything. And the passion, I love this, it says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. You understand what be careful means? It means don't worry, don't fret, don't be anxious. Don't be pulled in two different directions. You see that two different directions right there, right? And so it's not a suggestion. It's not a try not to. It is a command. It just simply says don't. It didn't say try not. It didn't say think about it. It said don't. Don't. Don't worry. Don't worry. But some things, Miss Michelle, some things are just important enough to have a little bit of worry, right? I mean, some things are big and they're hard. And, and you know, I got to worry a little bit about my kids because, you know, God told me to take care of them. And so I, I got to worry a little bit about my job. I got to worry some about my, my mortgage. I mean, I got to worry a little bit about that because that's a big deal, right? I mean, that's super important. It deserves a little bit of my worry. Is that what the word says? No, don't means don't. Don't means nothing is too big or big enough for you to worry about. Don't means don't. There's not any certain time in your life when you can use the excuse, I just can't help it. Well, Miss Michelle, I know I'm not supposed to worry, but I mean, this thing's big and I just can't help it. God will forgive me. I just can't help it. I can't help it. You can help it. The Word wouldn't tell you don't worry if it wasn't possible for you to not worry. Amen? Don't worry is a command. And it, I'll be honest... It's one of the most frequently broken commandments in the earth. I mean, there's not a lot of people, you know, that come to church and we hang out with that are murderers. I mean, that's a commandment. I mean, you know, there might be some of us that are guilty of lying. That's a commandment. But not a lot of people go around just telling lies. I mean, we get down to the little nitty-gritty, you know. But every one of us, if you're being honest, can say, yep, I've worried about something. 
I mean, you might even say it right this moment. I'm worried about something. It is the most frequently broken commandment on earth. And we got to get a hold of that. Because there's no victory in that. Amen? It's like people just live to see what in the world they can worry about today. I'm going to wake up in the morning. Let me think about what I can be worried about today. You know? Find anything to be worried about. Just worry, worry, worry. And we got to get, we got to get loose from that. If Jesus didn't think we could do it. He wouldn't have written this, what he wrote in here. He wouldn't have showed us the way to do things. He wouldn't have been our example. And he would have just said, now, when you get to this fig tree and you got a mountain in front of you, take a few days and really meditate on it and worry about it a little bit and then speak to it. He didn't say that, did he? He did not say that. We can live without worries. Right? I don't worry. I do not worry. All right, so the question is how? How? How do you get to a place where you don't worry? How do you get to a place where you don't worry? What can you do instead of worrying? What can I do to, to take the place of worrying? That's one thing. You can pray. That's right. But God's not going to come down from heaven and wipe your worrying out for you. Because He told you to do it. A command, a commandment is not command you to pray so God can come do it for you. He's commanded us to do it. So there's got to be something we can do. Very specifically, what can we do instead of worry? Let's turn over to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Starting in verse 25. I'm going to read in the uh, NLT, New Living. Matthew 6, 25. It says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your Heavenly Father... Feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Now, I think that, that's interesting. Can all the worrying you do add a single... Some versions say add an hour, but that word hour really means a split second. Can it add a split second to your life by worrying? Did y'all ever wake up in the middle of the night... Here we go. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night, wide awake, and something hits your brain, and you're awake for the rest of the night thinking about it? Mm-hmm. I mean me. I do that. Wake up in the night, you start worrying about something. What? Oh, my gosh, that payment's due. That payment's due. What? I forgot to pay the, this. or what? How am I going to get the money to pay that? Wake up right in the middle, 2 o'clock in the morning, you look over and, and you don't go back to sleep. Wake up in the middle of the night and you start thinking about a big math test. Or whichever kind of test. You got a big math test and all of a sudden you're wide awake. You're thinking about it. Worrying about it. What if I fail? Right? You wake up in the middle of the night because you went to the doctor and he gave you a bad report. And now you're just wide awake because... You can't stop thinking about what the bad thing that doctor said. And you just toss and turn. You're all, all night long, you're awake. Have you ever worried some money into your bank account? You stayed up all night worrying about how you was going to pay that bill. You worried hard. And the next morning you got up and your bank account was full. Have you ever worried an A on a test? You worried so hard and you, you, you worried an A on a test. Have you ever done that? Have you ever worried yourself well? I mean, people talk about, I worried myself sick. I mean, that's possible. 
But have you ever worried yourself well? Huh? Worry does not work. Worrying does not work. As a matter of fact, worrying makes it worse. Worrying makes it worse. Worrying keeps you in a place of bondage and defeat and it disconnects you from the power that's available in this word. Worrying is a disconnector. What if Pastor Allen worried about the running of this church all the time? He just wor- Instead of coming up here on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon to pray, he came up here to spend three hours in worry. Worrying about how we're going to keep these lights on in here. Do you think we'd be in operation for very long? If he, if he spent all of his time worrying about how we're going to keep the church going. Would that be a good plan? No. Worry is sin. Worry is sin. And we got to be serious about disconnecting from worry and connecting to faith. Let's keep going in Matthew. Get uh, Matthew 6, keep going. Verse 28, it says, Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Did you ever worry a suit of clothes into your closet? No, that's dumb, right? But we worry about other stuff. We don't call that dumb. Verse 30 says, And if God cares so wonderfully about wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So Jesus says right there that worry is the absence of faith. Worry is the absence of faith and it will keep you defeated and it will keep you bound And it will keep you disconnected from His power. Verse 31. What does it say? So don't worry about these things. Saying what will we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Or another version says pagans. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He'll give you everything you need. There's your answer right there if you need an answer. Seek first the kingdom. And verse 34 says, so don't worry about tomorrow. Three times in those verses, Jesus specifically says, do not worry. Now, are we faith people or what? Are you a faith believer? Are we faith people? Why would we try to be worry people? We can't be faith people and worry people at the same time. You can't do both. You cannot be in faith and in worry at the same time. You can't. Turn over to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. I'm going to turn here. Y'all remember when we talked about the different soil? The different type of soil to plant the word into. The hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny, and the good soil. Y'all remember that, right? Look at verse uh, Matthew 13. Let's just go directly to verse 22. Verse 22, it says, What was sown among the thorn, or the the thorny ground, is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Choke it. Did you see that? Choke it. The worries of this world choke it. Choke what? The word. The worries of this world choke the word. 
choke the word. Worry will choke the word out of your heart. I got to say that again. Worry will choke the word out of your heart. Why do you think so many people walk around defeated? How many people do you know that just, it seems like their life is just defeat after defeat, sickness and, and this problem and that problem, and it just, they waves like this. How many of you know somebody like that? Why do you think it is that people walk around like that? They can't get any results out of the Word. They read it, and they're, I'm making my confessions. They're making their confessions, and they're reading the Word. They come to church. They read the Bible. They do their devotion. They pray, and nothing seems to go right. You know anybody like that? I mean, I know a lot of people like that. Why is it that they're in such defeat? It's because they live their life. They have developed a lifestyle of worry and doubt. Worry and doubt is just part of their... They read the Bible, they pray, they go to church, and they worry and they doubt. I mean, that's the explanation right there. They may not be living in some, you know, visible sin, but they're worrying and they're doubting And the Word, this Word that is alive and can heal them and can give them victory and deliverance, it is choked out of their heart. It's choked out of their heart. And when you think about how serious, let me tell you how serious this is. Who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. If you think about how serious what I just said is, Jesus is the Word, and we're talking about the Word being choked out of your life. We're not just talking about you can't remember a Bible verse. Or we're not talking about you you just can't remember that devotional you read the other day. We're talking about the worries of this life choking Jesus out of your life. Choking the power of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean you, you worry and then suddenly you're not saved. I don't mean you choke your salvation out of your life. That's not what I said. You choke the power of Jesus to operate in your life out of your heart by worrying. That is serious. That's serious. You ought to hate some worry. We ought to be hating on some worry. Worry start coming to our mind. We ought to jump up. No, you don't. Like Smith Wigglesworth and that dog, that little yappy dog. Get out of here. We ought to snap at some worry. Amen? I mean, Lord, if I catch you worried, I'm just going to smack you right in the face. Stop that worrying. So what can we do? What can we do? You know, we seek first the kingdom and all that. And, and what can we do? Let's, let's turn over to Mark 4. Mark chapter 4. Let's start in uh, verse 35. Y'all there? Mark 4, starting in 35, it says, And that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Now, by the way, that wasn't a suggestion or a maybe. He said, let's go over to the other side. Did he have any doubt that they were going over to the other side? If he said it, he meant it, and there was no doubt, right? Let's go on over to the other side. So first, get that. And then leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, into the boat. And there were also some other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the side of the boat. 
so that it was nearly swamped. Now, this is a big storm, right? There's some water flying around. They're getting wet. And Jesus, verse 38, Jesus was in the stern worrying. Is that what it says? Jesus was in the stern of the boat doubting whether they were going to the other side. No. What was he doing? He was sleeping on a cushion. Now, the stern of the boat is not like some inner hull. It's out on the... I mean, it's out. he was out there getting wet. Storm blowing. He was probably wet. Sleeping away. Because the last thing he said was, we're going to the other side. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going. He was asleep. And the disciples woke him and said to him, now, do you think they're freaked out? They're freaked out right about now. I mean, they're freaked out. Where's Jesus? Oh my gosh, we're dying. Look at all this water coming in this boat. We're about to go down. Where is he? Look yonder, he's asleep. He's asleep. And they're freaked out. And they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? What is care? We just learned what care is. Worry. Aren't you worried that we're going to drown? I mean, what are you doing sleeping? Aren't you worried that we're going to drown? Don't you care about us? Do you just don't even care about nothing? Get over here and worry with us. We're all worried and we need you to come worry with us. Do you know what worriers will do? Worrying people. What do worrying people do? They try and get more people to come worry with them. Why do you think people that worry tell you their sob stories? They're trying to get you to worry with them. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about us? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, and there he is talking again. And he hadn't said anything since he said, we're going to the other side. And the next thing he has to say is, hey waves, hey, hey wind, get back. Hey waves, be quiet, be still. And the wind died down. And it was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Now there's fear again. In other words, he says, What are you worried about? Why are you worrying? Didn't you hear the word I said? We're going over to the other side. Why are you worrying? What are you worried about? And then he says this, Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? In other words, he recognized the worry and the doubt on them. And that meant they didn't have any faith. Because you can't have faith and doubt and worry at the same time. Did you hear me? Jesus only, he only operated on kingdom principles. Only kingdom principles. Seek first the kingdom. We got to get our hearts set on the truth of this word. Operate in the ways of the kingdom. That's why we talked for six or eight weeks about the kingdom. We wanted you guys to understand the kingdom principles, the kingdom, what it is, and how you operate. This is how you operate in the kingdom by faith. But you can't operate by faith if you've got doubt and worry stirring around in your head. Amen? Fear and doubt and worry, they're going to come. Yes, they are going to come against you. They're going to attack you. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do now this next week, tonight, when you go to bed and you wake up in the middle of the night? What are you going to do? What are you going to do tonight different than you did last night? 
We're going to look on 1 Peter 5, 7. I'm close to this. 1 Peter 5, 7 is telling you what you're going to do tonight. 1 Peter 5, 7. I want y'all to say it. 1 Peter 5, 7. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and your eyes pop open and you start worrying, your mind's going to go, 1 Peter 5, 7 says... Cast all of your care upon Him, for He careth for you. To me, that means cast all of my worries on Him, because He can manage your worries. He can carry your worries for you. The, the NLT says, Give all of your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. And the Amplified Classic says it this way. Casting the whole of your cares, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on Him. For He cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. That's good. That's good. That's what you're going to do tonight and the next time some worry tries to come into your head. He is big enough to carry it for you. You don't have to worry. You don't need to. You better not be worried. If you're going to stay in faith, then don't worry. I don't worry. He's big enough to carry the worry for you. He's strong enough. He's mighty enough. What's that song? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. Okay, so that was a bonus. He's big enough, he's strong enough, he's mighty enough to carry anything. You ain't doing a lick of good for yourself by worrying. Amen? Give it to him. Cast all of your cares on him. Amen? Say, I don't worry. I don't worry. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.